You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. It was 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, when Kimani Toussaint first heard about the problems with pulse oximeters. We're all watching the news and finding out what was going on, and this is before any vaccines. Sick patients were showing up at the hospital with dangerously low blood oxygen saturation levels. And healthcare workers were relying more and more on a device called a pulse oximeter to monitor their condition and to determine how much extra oxygen to give them. But doctors at the University of Michigan Hospital noticed something was wrong. The device, which uses light to shine through a fingertip, wasn't recognizing low oxygen levels in patients with darker skin tones. The Michigan doctors published their study in the New England Journal of Medicine in December 2020, and it sent shockwaves through the medical world. And Kimani, who is a professor in the School of Engineering at Brown University, heard about it from his wife, Diana Grigsby Toussaint, an epidemiologist at Brown. She actually knew before the Michigan study about the concerns with pulse oximeters. I said to him, you know, it's highly relevant. You're an engineer, and this is something you should you should go and look into in terms of why this is the case. What was uh, fascinating and surprising and disturbing was that this problem uh, had been documented uh, much earlier than the, uh, the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Uh, but um, even myself, I'm being an optics, I just wasn't aware of it, even though I was familiar with the technology. So he listened to me. So I was like, you see, this is what happens when you listen to your spouse. Meanwhile, the Michigan study was getting a lot of attention. Study got a lot of pushback, and the device manufacturer said this couldn't be true. Our devices, you know, work really well. The controversy caught the eye of Usha Lee McFarling, a national science correspondent for STAT. And then it was followed by, I won't say an avalanche, but a series of many stories that said, yes, this is happening in ICUs. This is delaying COVID treatment for patients who have darker skin. This is happening in veterans' hospitals. It's even happening on general surgical floors where patients aren't that sick. So it really became clear it was a huge issue affecting probably millions of Americans and their health. But some people did know. Studies showing that pulse oximeters give racially disparate results date back two decades. But as Usha points out, they were published in smaller journals, never got attention from bigger journals, never made their way into textbooks to be read by doctors in training. This totally shocked Dr. Noha Abulata and her colleagues. She kept thinking about the implications, how undoubtedly black and brown patients struggling to breathe have been sent home without oxygen because their pulse oximetry seemed fine. Uh, There was a lot of sort of somber moments and conversations being had uh, and just a lot of, I would say, anger that this was something that we should have been taught about in school. This had been known for quite some time. And it is a problem that the FDA has finally started to pay attention to, dedicating a 10-hour meeting to pulse oximeters last November amid growing concerns. As for Noha, she wants something better, a next-generation pulse oximeter accurate for all skin tones, something that only an engineer can build. As part of our Black History Month programming today on the show, how Kimani Toussaint is reimagining a better health tool for all. I'm Emily Kwong, and this is Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR.
Before we get into this, I just want to be clear. There is more than one way to measure blood oxygen levels. In fact, the gold standard in medicine is something called an arterial blood gas test, or ABG. Blood gets drawn from the artery in a patient's wrist and has to be put on ice for immediate sampling in a lab. But a test this invasive isn't always possible in a fast-paced emergency room or outpatient clinic, which is why more and more doctors, especially during the pandemic, came to rely on pulse oximeters. They're simply clipped to a patient's finger or earlobe or the foot of an infant for instant reading. No needles, no blood. These devices have become ubiquitous in medicine, and there was a boom in home sales of them during the pandemic. In some clinics, the number on the pulse oximeter is treated as a vital sign, as important as your pulse or your blood pressure. Kimani Toussaint explained how they work. When the blood leaves the heart, it travels along the arteries, and this hemoglobin molecule carries oxygen. So we call it oxyhemoglobin. And once it's delivered all of that, then now we have blood that circulates back to the heart via the veins uh, without oxygen. And that molecule is called deoxyhemoglobin. And the pulse oximeter is designed to measure both deoxyhemoglobin and oxyhemoglobin swimming in our blood vessels at the tip of our finger. And it does this through light. When you shine light on these protein molecules, the hemoglobin with oxygen and the hemoglobin without oxygen, where how much light is absorbed it becomes very wavelength-specific. Now, most pulse oximeters shine two wavelengths of light. One is infrared, the other is red. And how it works when it's clipped on your finger is that one side of the pulse oximeter shines light through your finger and the other side measures how much was absorbed. And then we look at their relative absorptions and take the ratiometric measure of how much one gets more absorbed than the other and use that to estimate the amount of oxygen that's saturated in our blood. And that reading appears on a little screen. Doctors call it your oxygen saturation or sometimes your periphery oxygen saturation. The lingo doesn't really matter. The point is that that number can dictate your care. A reading between 95 and 100% is healthy. But once you get below 89%, doctors start to worry. At 88%, a patient qualifies for home oxygen under the Medicare system, meaning they can use supplemental oxygen to keep them healthy. The problem is that these pulse oximeters aren't always right. Multiple factors can knock them off by two or three degrees, from poor circulation and tobacco use to jewelry and nail polish. But by far, the factor with the biggest implications for human health is skin pigmentation. Black and brown skin contains more melanin, which absorbs light at different wavelengths. Melanin in skin can block the light absorption properties of the device meaning a pulse oximeter might not register low oxygen saturation in patients with darker skin tones. Teasing out or separating out the contribution of melanin, which would overlap with the contributions of oxygen deoxyhemoglobin, that is the challenge. It's an engineering problem, but it is also a health equity problem. If you don't have people in the room that are representative of the population of people that you are trying to address with this technology... Uh, you are automatically creating blind spots. And the imprecision in these medical devices was there from the beginning. Usha Lee McFarling has been following the story for STAT. You know, I don't think there's a better example of the invisible systemic racism within medicine than this tiny device that's 
nevertheless so important. These um, devices to measure, you know, low oxygen were made for mountaineers and jet pilots, right, who are in very extreme conditions. And, and in the 50s and 60s, these are generally very white, you know, populations. And then the device we use today, it's basic setup was invented in Japan, and that's a very homogenous and also pretty light-skinned population. And then when they went to be approved in the United States, they were tested in the 80s in a a time when there was so little diversity in our clinical trials and and testing. So they're basically tested on a white population. Now, there was once a better oximeter on the market. Amy Moran Thomas wrote an article for Wired about it. Hewlett-Packard created something in the 1970s that was the size of a record player. It used eight wavelengths and was clipped on the person's ears. And because their oximeter was tested on black and white patients, its accuracy was more equitable. The light could actually be calibrated for different skin tones. But in the 1980s, HP shifted away from selling medical devices to focus on computers. And that pulse oximeter developed in Japan took off. During the pandemic, pulse oximeter readings were used as cutoffs in overwhelmed emergency rooms. People were sent home if their readings were above a certain number. And if you think about it, a reading that was inaccurate by a few percentage points because of melanin blocking some of the light wouldn't be known by doctors. Here's Noha Abolata again, CEO of the Roots Community Health Center in Oakland. So I think that there's no doubt in my mind that this has led to people not getting care, not getting timely care, or even being sent home or staying home to die, um, specifically from from COVID-19. Some recent studies do back this up. And in September, NOHA and fellow doctors in Northern California published their findings. They reported that pulse oximetry systematically overestimated blood oxygenation by about 1% in non-Hispanic, Black, African-American patients compared with non-Hispanic, white patients. Noha says that thinking about all of her past patients and these tiny percentage points that might have made a huge difference has been the hardest part. I could remember a patient where the pulse ox just did not look like what I was seeing in front of me. And this is someone who had emphysema and I was trying to get qualified for home oxygen and just could not get them qualified with the pulse ox. And so I decided to send them in for that arterial blood gas test. And sure enough, they qualified. And at that time, it felt great. You know, okay, good. I, you know, I, I pursued this and this person got their home oxygen. But now looking back on it, it makes me angry. Noha now has workarounds. She tells patients to watch for large swings in the pulse oximeter readings and not put as much stock in the numbers themselves. It's a shaky compromise that leaves many doctors anxious for a new and better device. And one of them is underway at Brown University. Kimani Toussaint has developed a prototype with his doctoral student, Rutendo Jakashira. Our technology is still pulse oximetry in the sense that it's a light-based technique based on similar elements. Where we differ is uh, we are trying to exploit the polarization or electric field properties of the light. So rather than two sources of light, the theory is to build an oximeter that uses a single light source with unique polarization properties that allow the detected signal to be measured independent of the effect of melanin. 
It's complicated, but similar to the technology used for sunglasses, all dependent on polarization. And they're working with a local hospital in Rhode Island, the Miriam Hospital, and collaborator Jane Carter to test this prototype on patients. It's a lot bigger, the size of a shoebox with lasers and mirrors inside. And in some ways, it's kind of like the model built by Hewlett Packard in the 1970s. Bigger, clunkier, but more customizable for different skin tones. As word gets out about his work, Kimani says he's been getting emails from people all over the country. I've had emails from people who just have seen one of these stories and they, they're the common everyday person who's like, can you... Um, Tell me kind of where you are with this. You know, is, is this something that uh, can be solved, right? So it's, it's one of those things where um, it's really hit me just how much impact that this work could have um, if it's successful. And, and that, to me, is exciting. Uh, but I do also appreciate that significant uh, responsibility associated uh, with that. He told me this is about so much more than pulse oximetry. If you have a health equity story you want us to talk about, send us an email at shortwave at npr.org. Today's episode was co-reported with Anil Oza, who also checked the facts. It was produced by Thomas Liu and edited by Gabriel Spitzer. The audio engineer was Neil Tebold. Rebecca Ramirez is our supervising producer. Brendan Crump is our podcast coordinator. Our senior director of programming is Beth Donovan. And the senior vice president of programming is Anya Grundman. I'm Emily Kwong. Thanks for listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. <laughs>